doesn't have to be brand new if you want to buy some you can but it can be used as long as it's in like new condition um, if you could uh, if you would like to, to donate any children's clothing small stuffed animals uh, hair bows or accessories for girls Well, 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 we're in July, we're in summertime, we've got a number of folks on vacation this week, we're in the middle of summer, how many of you enjoying your summer so far, amen, praise God, how many, how many of you still like living in Texas, <laughs> we're, we are in the heat, well, I'll tell you, God can still refresh us, uh, even though we're, uh, in a, in a tough, dry place. But God, God is doing some things. I really pray that you will connect with our VBS program at the end of the month. Uh, I believe God's going to use us in a powerful way. You know, uh, the good news, the good news transforms lives, and our children need the Lord. I was reading a survey by George Barna that more and more children today from different age groups uh, are having a difficult time believing anything. It's one of the most uh, challenging generations. It's not that the young people, it's not that young people are the problem. It's that many times young people don't know what to believe because there's so many things thrown at them right now. So there's confusion. You know, the thing that convinces anyone to believe anything is based on the influences that are around them. And what, what communicates to them life, whatever communicates and touches the needs in their life is the thing that's going to uh, resonate with them. Uh, I, uh, how many here are... Uh, part of Facebook. Anybody out here, uh, how many do not have Facebook? You're a good group. I, I, I have, I, I, I found something that, now I'm, I'm in Facebook. I, I don't, I do Facebook, but I don't, I, I put a couple thoughts on there once in a while, but I'm not a, I, I don't fully know how to, to read it or work with it, but I, I found an article that I can relate with about Facebook. It says, for those of my generation who do not and cannot comprehend why Facebook exists, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and I tell people that pass by what I've eaten <laughs> and how I feel at the moment, what I've done the night before and what I will do later and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, my dog, and my gardening. 
I take things apart in the garage, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch and doing what anybody and everybody does every day. I also listen to their conversations and I give them a thumbs up. And I tell them that I like them. And it works just like Facebook. Right now, I already have four people following me. Two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. I thought that really went well. <laughs> so uh, for those who are not on Facebook, you're still okay. Amen. <laughs> I just thought I'd have that. Amen. I, I wanted to, uh, if you could take your Bibles for a few minutes and jump with me into Second Chronicles chapter 15. I, I have a, a word this morning that... Um, was really kind of based on an article that I read out of Charisma. In fact, I've been on a series on the truth about following Jesus, but I felt like the Lord speak to my heart, in fact, just this morning. I, I had a message prepared, and this morning is one of those messages the Lord impressed on me to just kind of change directions. Uh, hey, Jonathan, could you, could you do me a quick favor? See that bouquet of flowers? Could you bring that over here for me just for a minute? Jonathan's going to help me out for a second. And the Lord, the Lord just was impressing on me some things about where we are as a nation. And how, how many of you know that as, as the nation goes, so as the nation goes, the strength or the life or the blessing or favor of that nation is really dependent on where the church is at, where God's people are at. It's not based on politics. I, I know there's a lot on, if you turn your television on, there's a lot of fighting and there's a, there's a battle today for control of the direction of our nation. How many of you know that? It's a battle. And there's a lot of slimy stuff that's being thrown at different people and a lot of things that are being said. I mean, we literally are having violence on our streets over the direction of our nation. And I would like to suggest that it's not political, it's not economic, it's not even social. It's spiritual. The spiritual battle is really at the core of where people are at and why, and the, what, the reason they believe what they believe. And um, the Bible is very clear about the blessing of God. How many of you want to live a blessed life? I don't know about you. I, I want the blessing of God. I want God's favor on my life. And uh, I, I, want his, I want his hand. I, I, want, I want the smile of God on my family. To me, that's, that is the most important. It's not, it's not my college career. It's not how much money I make. It's not where I live. It's not the house I live in. I would rather live in a tent and have God's favor on my life than live in a half a million dollar home and have no peace. I'd rather have the Lord in my life than anything. And I've come to realize that without the blessing of God, without the favor of God in your life, you are literally just playing Russian roulette. You are playing games with your future and with your children. 
And I, I felt like the Lord speak to me about something. And he said, Ray, it's two things I want you to tell this congregation. This is what the Lord spoke to me this morning. He says, it's time for us to get our houses in order. And then secondly, the Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm coming to every home and with mercy and with his love and with his tenderness, he's coming to clean our houses up. He wants to clean house. How many have ever done house cleaning before? I, I, I remember several years ago, I was uh, went on a visitation, and as my wife and I do, uh, we went into a particular individual's home. This was several, several years ago. And uh, as soon as the door opened in this particular home, Literally, the smell of garbage and the smell of just some horrible stuff was hit our hit our face, just literally. And it was it was almost unbearable. But what I come to find out later that what was in the house had become the norm. You know, when someone lives in garbage long enough. They become used to it. How many of you notice that? How many here have ever smelled your own sweat? Do you know that you usually don't? It's someone else that smells it because it's not familiar. But when we become familiar with our own body odor, for instance, or sweat, or our own, whether it's something good or bad, we, we usually don't detect it because we become familiar with it. And if you live in a particular condition long enough, you will become used to that. And when you become used to that, guess what? Uh, it begins to uh, become a normal way of life. Now, one of the things that God wants to do, I, I really believe that God wants, God's not interested in just cleaning your life up. He wants uh, we, we know that God is a holy God. How many of you know he's holy? And, and uh, the, the whole purpose, when we deal with the subject of holiness and righteousness, sometimes we tend to equate holiness with rules, and we tend to equate holiness with what we need to do or things we haven't done, and usually just the very mention of the word, the concept of holiness, begins to cause literally mental paranoia. Some people just become paranoid because the first thing that happens is when you start talking about the holiness or the righteousness of God, it's, it's easy in our humanity, it is easy for us to think about everything we've done wrong. Well, I've really blown that and yes, I've got a habit problem there and I've got some issues that are not settled there and I know God has spoken and put a finger on an area in my life at that point and I've really dropped the ball there. Or maybe, maybe your spouse has reminded you, or your parents, or your family, or maybe someone very close to you. And so it's, it's easy for us to become paranoid about things that are not necessarily uh, working in a healthy way in our life. You know, one of the things that I uh, remember years ago, my uh, uh, a family physician in my 
my family when I was growing up, my parents, uh, when my brother and I were very, very anemic and very sick, my mother took me into the doctor. The doctor had taken some blood work on my brother and I, and he looked at my mother and said, your boys are very anemic. And he said, what are you feeding them? And my mother was working in a packing shed. My mom and dad worked long hours. My brother and I basically were latchkey kids. We came home, and we just fed ourselves. But the one thing about it is we ate junk food. We ate trash. We ate, gar- we ate anything we could find. It was, it was mostly candy, and, and my parents let me do that. One day when the doctor said that, my mother switched gears And my brother and I didn't know that. She switched gears and she said, from now on, vegetables. From now on, we're eating right. Because they got tired of paying doctor bills because of our bad eating habits. I want to tell you, I thought the world had come to an end as a kid. Because all of a sudden, my mother was starting to make us eat ungodly things like vegetables. It was ungodly. It was horrible. It was persecution. I mean, I did everything to let my parents know that they were persecuting me. I mean, I remember sitting at the table, and I would start to make faces at my parents. I'd I'd go, (laughs) and I I remember my dad said, Ray, 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 and he'd slap me on the, Ray, what's wrong with you? I can't eat those beans. <laughs> and, and I remember putting on an act to get my way. It was all about getting my way. I, I, I hated vegetables. And they made me eat it. And I, I just couldn't stand that. Well, later on, thank God my parents were persistent. And they began to help us gradually. And we actually come to like vegetables, my brother and I. And thank God I can tell you right now, I'm alive today. I'm not really all that healthy. But uh, but I I can tell you right now that, that our health at that time turned around. Things turned around when we begin to eat better. Now, when it comes to this subject and what God is doing, how many of you know that God never speaks to us, and he never challenges us with anything that is usually not, it's it's usually because he loves us so much. You see, if, if if we ever think that God is saying something to us to cramp our style, and any time we ever think that whatever God is doing or saying is, is, is actually hindering my happiness, the problem is I don't know him. The real problem is I don't know the Lord. And I have been seduced with a lie. And we're living in a time today, and I I want to take you back into 2 Chronicles. I I want you to just, I just want to touch this passage. It's it's about a a king, a king of Judah. His name was Asa, a king. He was the king of the southern kingdom, Israel and and Israel had been separated into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. And Asa was one of the, he was a righteous king, 
But he had other kings before him that had succumbed to idolatry. Now, idolatry is anything that comes into my life that I look to. It's anything that I begin to set on a pedestal. It can be an addiction. It can be a habit. It can be a person, a thing. It can be anything. But there, there was idolatry. Israel had been seduced by pagan nations around them. The pagan nations knew that they could not defeat Israel because of the presence of God that was among them. God made a covenant with Israel. He said that I will make you the head, not the tail, and, and that you will be above only, and I will cause all the nations from around you to flee from before you simply because of my presence and my name that's among you. So the nations of, of the, uh, that were enemies around Israel could not defeat Israel. But what they begin to discover is we can't beat this, we can't beat the people of God because of the presence of the Lord and the name of the Lord that dwells among them. But what we can do, we can seduce them. We can influence them. We can draw them away from their God. What we'll do is we'll set a stumbling block in front of them. We'll have parties. We'll bring drugs to it. By the way, how many of you know that high places were called high for a reason? It's where they got high. It wasn't just about drugs. It wasn't about alcohol. Uh, but there were orgies. There was a lot of uh, occultic practices, demonic worship. There was ashtroth poles, which had to do with obscene and profanity and with a lot of nudity on these poles because these pagan nations understood the power of visual influence. The power of influence. The power over their minds. How many of you know the devil still understands that? And, and what, what I'm saying this for is back in, in this passage, a prophet by the name of Azariah came to Asa one day, who was the king, and he said this. Notice what it says, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 1, 2 Chronicles 15, 1, came upon Azariah the son of Odin, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, he's speaking to the king of Judah, and to all Judah and Benjamin, and the, he said, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time. Everyone say a long time. A long time Israel had been without the true God. Now that makes me wonder, well, what God was among them then? They'd been without the true God. What God was there? Without a teaching priest... And without the law. That means there was nobody that was instructing them. No one was, no one was teaching. There was a careless attitude about the things of the Lord. And when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he, the Lord, was found by them. Verse 5. In those days... There was no peace to the one who went out nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all of the inhabitants of the lands. So that nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. 
for God. It doesn't say the devil here. It says God troubled them with adversity. Now let me stop there. You may say, why would God do such a thing? How many of you know for whom the Lord loves? He what? He chastens. You know what? I am so glad that God chastens me because the Bible says when he stops chasing you, he says, then you are bastards and not sons. I would rather be chastened than left alone. Because if God ever leaves me alone and doesn't chasten me, it shows that he's given me over to what I want to do. And that's a dangerous place. In Romans 1, the Bible says, because they did not retain the knowledge of God in their conscience, neither were thankful, and they did not want him in their life because they said, I do not need God. I don't need him. The Bible says, God gave them up to their own desires. The worst thing that could ever happen. I would rather have God chasten me because he loves me than for God to give me up. And by the way, if you haven't, if you've been walking away from the Lord and you haven't been experiencing trouble, I'd be concerned. But if you've been experiencing some adversity, that's a sign God still loves you. Now that just, I know that just kind of goes contrary to our thinking. But if you're going through some trouble, it's because God said, hey, I'm up here, I'm trying to get your attention. I love you. Amen. The Bible says that a good father, a good mother, chastens his son. But an ungodly son or an ungodly father will not chasten his sons because they do not understand love. Love involves that. Here we find in verse 7, the Holy Spirit, through Azariah the prophet, speaking to Asa, says, But you... Be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words of the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which had been taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah, Benjamin, and those who dwelt from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they had, came, they had come over in great, numbers, uh, in great numbers from Israel when they saw, listen to this, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. How many of you want God to be with you? His presence. Now notice two things that happen here. The Bible says that Azariah the prophet comes and he warns Asa, this king. And he says this, God's with you if you're with him. How many of you know what James says? If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. The Bible says he gives more grace to the humble. But God resists what? The proud. Here we find this passage literally coming to pass. The Bible says that in this day, cities were being destroyed from within their own cities, nation against nation, city, people against people, and it says God troubled them. 
Didn't say the devil did it. It says that the Lord allowed it. It's because he loves them, cares about them. But he also said this. He said there was no peace to them that went in. To those who went out, there was no peace. You know, it's, it's amazing. I, I don't know how, how many of you have seen people who might be doing well financially. They might live in nice neighborhoods, but there's no peace in their life. There's no sense of joy. There's no harmony in the home. There's, there, the things of the Lord become secondary. And the Bible says here that the Lord will send a prophet. Do you know one of the best things that can happen if you're ever spiritual drifting is that God loves you so much he will send someone to you to speak to you because he loves you. How many of you believe that? How many of you have ever had someone, God use someone to speak into your life? I, w- I hope God never stops sending someone if I ever drift. I need the Holy Spirit. Do we, do we need that? But here's, here's the problem. Notice what he did. Asa did two things. The first thing he did is he took action and he destroyed the idols in the land. He removed the idols. And number two, he restored the altar of worship. Two things. And it says it caused the presence of God to come back. He destroyed the idols. Now, one of the reasons I I bring this up, I I took an article out of Charisma, and when I read this, I was in shock. And it says, it's it's in the middle of the recent, uh, in the recent Charisma magazine here, I'm not going to read the entire article, but I want to read a couple chapters in it. When I read this, it just, it hit me, and it it concerned me where the church is at. I'm speaking not about our church, I'm speaking about the church as a nation, because this article is reflecting on the nation in America. And by the way, folks, please understand, I want to close this message with hope today, where there is hope, there's always life, there's always hope. But I do believe it is important, you know, it's, how many here have ever gone to a doctor and you're sick. Can you imagine going and paying a doctor money and the doctor says, I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with you. Just take a few pain pills, go home, you'll be fine. You'd say, no, doctor, I, I, I need to know what's wrong with me. Don't just give me pain pills to sedate my pain. I need to know. How, how many of you believe it would be crazy if a doctor didn't tell you I mean, if you ever have a problem, you want, doctor, tell me, what, what do I need to know? Can you imagine? The doctor says, no, I, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to kill your good day today. You just go home, take a few pain pills, you'll be just fine. Anybody want to go back to that doctor? No, I, I pay, when I go to a doctor, I want the doctor to tell me the truth. And I want him to make a proper diagnosis. Anybody out there like that? Can you imagine going to a doctor and he says, there's nothing wrong with you. I am not going to make your day go bad. I want you to be happy. Well, yeah, I want to be happy too, but if there's something I need to change, I hope you tell me. Amen? But here he's, this author here, he says, when I consider the results of several surveys in America, church goes, this is people going to church. 
Listen to this. I can't escape the conclusion that Americans in America today has lost its way. He says, according to this survey, 68% 68 of men in America that are going to church are addicted to pornography. That is 7 out of 10 men going to church. 7 out of 10. And he says this. This is even amazing. Along with 54% of their pastors. That's one out of two pastors that are pastoring are addicted to pornography. Seven out of ten men. This is, this is, how many of you know this is an epidemic problem? And he says, if the statistics are true, the modern church has become one of the most perverse institutions on the planet, and it becomes easy to understand why the unbelieving world is rejecting Jesus Christ. Christ is judged by what those who claim to be his people are. If it is as claimed that over 50% of American pastors are using pornography, then the pulpits of America have become a fountainhead of uncleanness in the church and the nation. We must never forget that a minister ministers what they are even more than what they say. Did you hear what he said there? We minister what we are, not just what we say. There's a spirit. Do you know that even when I'm ministering right now, I am ministering a spirit right now. Not just my words. There's a spirit. I can minister life or I can minister death. I can minister holiness or I can minister uncleanness. That's what the, the Bible teaches this. And this brother here who's writing this, he says, a minister with an unclean heart ministers uncleanness every time he speaks, even if they are railing against the same uncleanness. A minister that partakes of the darkness of pornography may speak of the love and the grace of God, but what they really minister is lust and unfaithfulness. Let me just say this. You can hide your sin, but you won't hide the consequence. You can hide your sin, but you won't hide its effects. And what I'm saying is this, is I believe God wants the church to be cleansed and healed. Amen? And I I believe it starts with the clergy. I believe it starts in the house of the Lord. The Bible says that it's time for judgment to begin in the house of the Lord. Now, I know that this message can be ministered in a way that brings condemnation and pain, and no one is here. The Lord is not bringing this message, and the Lord impressed on me that he loves those, he loves people that are broken, that are addicted. He loves people that are under the guilt and the shame of, it's not just pornography, it can be other issues. It can be any addiction. But he wants there to be healing. He loves people that are broken. He loves people that are suffering with these situations. And we go on here to read this passage. 
he goes on here to say, the stakes are too high for us not to be clear. Pornography is both adultery to the married person and fornication to everyone involved. Jesus said, whosoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. A person is what they are in their heart. If their heart is sinful, they are sinful. But if their heart is pure, then they are holy. Jesus said, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man that comes out of the heart. There are three great tragedies in this pornography epidemic. One is that it exists in the church at all. The second is that many of our teachers seek to deny the eternal implications for the ones involved. The Apostle Paul was clear, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, with mankind shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Yet as a whole, the church refuses to believe such scriptures. Our doctrinal philosophies tell us that this could not possibly be true. Still, I must say that as Paul said, I tell you before, before we stand before the Lord, and I've told you as in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The third and the greatest tragedy is rarely, that is that, is that rarely is that the gospel preached that makes everyone who believes it are truly free indeed. <clears throat> Today, Malin, uh, uh, in 1987, in a version from the Lord, I saw, he, here's this brother who wrote this article, he says this, he said, I saw the Lord sweeping as with a broom the churches across America, but in many of the churches he was not sweeping away the unclean, he was sweeping the clean out of, from among the unclean. As I watched the heart of the Spirit of God say, when I'm finished in the churches across America of the unclean, there will be nothing left but the uncleanness from the pulpit to the pew. Although it breaks my heart, I do believe that I am seeing the vision fulfilled in this present generation. Now, one of the things that I, I want you to jump over with me in your Bibles uh, for a minute here into 1 Corinthians 6. If you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to see something that the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know that when we talk about these kind of issues, it's, this is not the kind of message that makes anybody jump out of the pew and say hallelujah, but I, I do believe that a message like this is important. I felt the Holy Spirit say, Ray, anytime God deals with us with issues that we may be hiding or deals that are not dealt with, it's because he loves us. But I want you to know that even if you have a problem in this area, there is mercy. God's mercy is available to cleanse and wash and forgive us. Not only does he come to cleanse and wash us, but he comes to make us whole. So we are not living under that cloud of condemnation. Amen? And I, 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 want, I, I, I say this and I still mean this. 
I believe the church is to be a no-shame zone. And the way we, 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 we uh, understand that is when we deal and talk about sin. Now, I understand that Jesus took and he washed and he removed our sin. But you know that in every epistle in the New Testament, you will find where Paul was dealing with sinning Christians. There were those that were still dealing with issues. And here's my point. Sometimes when we come to the Lord, when we are saved and born again, what happens when I am born again? My spirit man is quickened. I'm made alive. And not only am I made alive, but the Bible says he raises me through his mercy. He seats me with Christ in heavenly places. I'm washed by the blood and I am made the righteousness of God in Christ. I am made righteous. I am completely made holy in his sight. That's what the Bible teaches. That's my positional righteousness before the Lord. But the one thing that hasn't changed is my mind has not been renewed yet. See, my spirit man is saved, but my soulish man is in a process of being saved. That's why we have to renew our mind. That's why it's possible where a lot of people, they come to give their heart to the Lord. This is why it's a problem with a lot of new, new, new Christians because they'll say one week, well, I thought I gave my heart to the Lord, but I still got these horrible thoughts and these bad temptations. I'm still dealing with issues in my life. Well, that's because we have to renew our mind. You see, Christianity, salvation is not just an event or an experience or an encounter that happens once only. But, sal but salvation is also a process that is evolving as I am continually drawing close, drawing nigh to the Lord. As I draw nigh to the Lord, and as I am beholding in the face the glory of the Lord, I am being changed from glory to glory. That's why I need to continually behold the face of the Lord, amen? And as the more I am in His presence, the more I seek the Lord, the more... The old man is passing away, and that new man is being regenerated in my life. And see, that's why I need to be consistent, my relationship with the Lord. And here's the most important thing, folks. When we minister a word like this, it is important that we don't sit there and think, well, man, Pastor Ray's just hit something in my life, and now I feel really dirty and bad. Maybe I better just stop going to church, because that's me. See, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to think you are canceled, you are unworthy, you're filthy, you're perverted, you're out of here. That, that's Satan, that's demonic. God does not bring anything to light to condemn you. Anytime he brings anything to light, it's because he knows, God knows that it's your choice to repent. God can't come and repent for you. It's a decision, and it comes down to not just trying harder. It's not about, okay, okay, God, I'll really try. I'll, I'll really try better. No, it's not about trying either. It's not even about trying. It's about being. Not about trying, it's about being a son. It's about being the man of God that he's called you to be. But it comes through a genuine surrender and trust. But it also comes 
with as you behold the glory of God revealed in you. Now, I, I, I want to I bring an example this morning, and I've used this before a long time ago. I have two vessels up here. We all know what this is. This is a garbage can. Amen? We have any arguments with this? Okay. This is a vase. Both of them were created for different purposes. Now, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, Paul the Apostle was writing in the Scripture. In fact, let's jump over there with me for a minute while I go into the Scripture. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, listen to what he says for us to understand this concept of holiness. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands sure, having the seal. The word seal there means something that has been marked. There's a mark on you. The Lord knows those who are His. How many would you like, how many of you know that it's not enough for me to know the Lord, but does the Lord know me? Now you may say, oh, Pastor, I thought God knew everything. Yeah, He knows everybody. He does know everybody. But what He's talking about here is does He know you intimately? See, He knows all, He knows everybody. But He's asking a question. Do I know you intimately? Have you drawn close enough to me to where I know you intimately? See, I know my wife like I know nobody else here. My wife and I, we're married. We're in a covenant, and I know her. And we've entered into a covenant relationship. I know her more than I know you because she's entered into a covenant with me She's made certain decisions, and that decision was, part of that decision is to forsake all others and only give herself to me. I know her for that. I know her that she has forsaken all others, and she only wants me in her life. How many of you know that's what God wants in us? He wants to be able to say, I know Nathan. I, I know Jonathan. I know David. I know John. I know they've entered into a covenant and I know that they have forsaken all others and they've kept themselves. Now notice what the Bible says here in this text. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Notice what it didn't say. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord go to church. Praise God. I go to church, live like the devil, but I'm going to church. No, he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The word iniquity is a word that means to be bent towards something. Am I bent? Is there a bending? Is there a leaning towards a way of living or thinking that is contrary to God's word? or contrary to what he created me to be. Now notice what else he says here. For in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold, silver, and wood, and clay, 
some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be what? A vessel of honor. Now, I got two vessels up here. Very simple illustration. One was created for garbage. The other one was created for display and for honor. Do you know that when you were created in God's image in Genesis chapter 1, do you know the Bible says you were created in God's image? You were created to display. You were created for honor, for glory. The Bible says created in His image to subdue and have dominion. But when Adam sinned in the garden and he was separated from God, guess what happened? What did Adam do when he discovered his nakedness? He ran! And he hid himself for shame. Do you know why? Because sin begins to affect your image. And when you live in sin, you begin to think you're a garbage can. You know, I was running in, I, I, I had an, I had a, I had a session years ago with a young lady, beautiful young lady. And she says, you know, pastor, I just don't understand why I'm, a, why, why I'm attracted to bad guys. I just love bad guys. I, I just like bad guys. I wanted to be with a bad guy. And I said, in, in these, every time she was in this relationship, these bad guys keep hurting her. I said, why are you attracted? I don't know why I'm attracted to bad guys. I said, you know why? Because you think you're a garbage can. And guess what you do with garbage cans? You put garbage in it. But here's what she didn't know. Forgive me, Judy, for doing this. But see, the devil wants us to think we're a garbage can when we're really, truly a vessel of honor. And if you don't know who you are, you're going to keep putting garbage in your vessel because you think you're this, but what Jesus' blood has died for was to make you this. You're a vessel of honor, but you live like this. And you keep putting garbage in this when you don't realize this is not you anymore. This is not you. You see, one of the reasons why people say, I just can't stop doing it, it's because you don't know that you're a vessel of honor. Once you begin to understand you're a vessel of honor, you're going to let the Holy Spirit... Guess what happens with holy vessels? You begin to care about what goes in your vessel. Holiness is not about obeying rules. It's not about, okay, I need to shape up my life. Stop reading pornography. Stop putting bad junk. No. Holiness is about, first of all, recognizing how beautiful you are because of what Jesus paid for. You're a valuable vessel. And once you begin to recognize value, see, what happens when you see value, you protect what you are. You value it. I don't need that garbage in my... I don't drink out of the sewer pipe anymore. I don't need it because I'm a vessel of honor. I'm a vessel of beauty. 
And so it's no longer holiness based on rules or based on condemnation or based on because the pastor said I'm, I'm a pervert. No, it's not that. It's holiness based upon a loving relationship, a father who paid a huge price by sending his son to make you holy and to make you honorable and beautiful. Now you may say, well, Pastor, I still got a lot of bad thoughts and bad. I got a lot of junk in my life and I still feel dirty and I, I just can't get away from those bad thoughts. Well, that's because you haven't yet been exposed to the beauty and the power and the glory of who you are in Christ. See, once you become exposed, and that's why I tell people, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some. Why do we come here? Why do we come to church? It's not to hear me preach. I hope to God that's not it. It's to expose you to the glory of what God wants you to see you are. You are this. This is not who you are. See, when people put junk in themselves, it's because they, they have believed. This here is a lie. This is a lie the devil wants you to think. I, I've had people say, no, Pastor, I, I'll just, I'll just, I just can't quit. I just can't stop. It's all I've ever known. Because you believe you're a garbage can. See, in the kingdom of God, notice everyone say this, change my reality. I need to start changing my reality. This is not my reality anymore because the blood of Jesus said it was finished and he's raised me and seated me with him in heavenly places. And now he's filled me with his glory. And now I am like Jesus. But see, my vessel, even though he's created me a vessel of honor, I still am responsible for what goes in the vessel. I still have to put some good stuff in here. And you might be a vessel of honor, but if you're still reading Playboys, guess what? You're going to feel just like this. Even though you are this. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen. Praise God. Not really. Anyway. No, that's okay. I, I, was, I'm, I'm, I know I'm done with that. But I, I just, I want us to grasp that holiness is first based upon the revelation that Jesus saw such great value in you and he loves you so much and that he took your perversion, your sin, your addictions and your problems and he gave you his righteousness and he became sin for you so you no longer have to you no longer have to live like this. You no longer have to be a vessel that has to keep going back to the sewer. I'm a vessel of honor, and I'm going to start living like he taught me to live like. Amen? Now notice what he says. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Notice what he says, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee. Everyone say flee. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a what heart? A pure heart. Everyone say pure heart. I want you to say this right now with me. I have a pure heart. 
You may say, well, pastor, how do I know that I have a pure heart? Here's how you know you have a pure heart. First of all, you want the Lord in your life. Number two, if you're uncomfortable with sin, that's a sign of a pure heart. You may say, well, pastor, I just blew it yesterday. If you have a desire to repent and come clean with God, you have a pure heart. See, pure heart does not, does not mean that you have to develop a track record. I've ran into a lot of people, you know, pastor, I've had people tell me this, pastor, I'm not going to be coming to church for a while. I'll say, why? Well, I, I kind of screwed up and really blew it in sin, so I need to stay away from the church. Well, I said, okay, well, what's that going to do for you? Well, I just kind of got to get my life together first. I said, time out. You've got to get your what? I've got to get my life together so I can feel worthy about coming back to the house of God. I said, do you know that that's what being under the law is? You're under the law and you're under works. And basically what you're saying is what Jesus did on the cross doesn't work for you. The Bible says we are to come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need to obtain mercy. When do I need him? When I fall on my face. When I fall on my face. He said he's a merciful and faithful high priest who knows what you're going through and he's a father. How many fathers and mothers do we got out? How many of you would wish your children would come running to you if they had a problem rather than hide it? If you're a true parent, you would re- it doesn't matter what they're, you would rather them come to you with their problem, wouldn't you? Because what, what are you going to do? You're going to hug them. You're going to say, son, it's going to be okay. I love you. Oh, but Dad, I blew it, just like the prodigal. Remember the prodigal? The prodigal? The son came home. Jonathan, could you come up here? Here's one of my sons in the faith. I know he belongs to, amen, James. And, but when the son came home and the son said, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be caught. I mean, Dad doesn't even let him finish the sentence. And he's kissing his dad. Mwah, 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 mwah. Forgive me here, but I mean, his dad just starts loving on the guys. Stop, servants, go get the fatted calf. Bring the rome, the ring, and the sandals. Let's bring. We're gonna have a party. And the son, the son's trying to get it. Dad, wait, you don't understand, Dad. I, I'm not even worthy to be called one of your sons took everything that you said and gave to me and I blew it on women, I blew it on wild living and I blew it on selfish, I'm not even worthy. What did the father, what was the father's most important concern? Restoration. He didn't say, well son, I knew you'd do that. Because of that, you're going to pay, you're going to live in the pig pen for a while. That's not what our Heavenly Father did, did he? He embraced him. And notice what the response from the elder brother was. Wow, I can't believe that. That you would restore him, this son of yours. That's what he says. The elder son said about his brother. He says, this son of yours. 
who's gone out in the hive and even done those things, and you killed a calf for this guy, you bring a party, and I've been so faithful to you, and you've never even given me a party. The elder brother's spirit was a spirit of pride and self-righteousness. And yet Jesus, in that parable, in that story, is helping us see the heart of a father who was seeking to restore him and not give him a court case. You know what's amazing? Thanks, Pastor. Give this guy off in hand. <clears throat> it is amazing how many people today, and I, I, I am not in any way making light of sin. When there's sin and there's unrepented sin, the Bible says we need to judge ourselves. That doesn't mean to condemn ourselves, but it means to confront ourselves, and we need to take ownership and acknowledge we have sinned. Amen? Amen. Psalms 32, I'm not going to go there, but Psalms 32 says that when I hid my sin, his hand, God's hand, was heavy on me. How many of you have ever felt God's heavy hand on you? not a hand of condemnation, it's not a hand of the destruction, but it's a hand where, it's that hand where he is letting you know that he loves you and he's not pleased with you. Do you know that God can still love you though he's not pleased with you? I love all three of my sons. There's been times I've not always been pleased, but my love has never changed. There's times that God loves you. He may not be happy with you, but he is not going to let go of you until you come home. He loves you that much. And here we find that the Apostle Paul, jump back with me, I'm closing, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. I want to close with this. Notice what it says, really important. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not do not be deceived. No, no, Paul's, Paul's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the church. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to people that are in the church. And such were some of you. Notice it says were, past tense. Now I want everyone to say, I am washed, I am sanctified, and I am justified. It's important. I've been washed, sanctified, and justified. The idea of washing means that the Lord, through the precious blood of Jesus, has removed the stain and the guilt, and your Heavenly Father no longer sees that on your life. He sees the righteous to be washed. To be justified is a legal term. It means as though it never even happened. It's a legal term, to be justified. And to be sanctified means this, that He is now set you aside to be separated for his holiness. God has now not only washed and cleansed and, 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 and justified, but now he has separated you for himself. 
You see, this vessel down here has been created for one specific purpose, for display and for glory. And you know what? Until you are acting glorious and you're walking in holiness and living like and for what he created you for, you will never have happiness in your life. You're not created for this. And if you keep living with the trash and you're going out and feeding on the trash and this is what you feed on, this is your diet, then you get sick. You're going to find it. You're going to find yourself like so many. You know what? I got high. I got, I got burned. Man, I, I really wasted myself. But man, I tell you, there's no peace. There's nothing inside. There's no joy. There's no life. Because you were not created to be a trash can. You were created for glory and honor. That's what you were created for. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. See, what that does is that breaks this mindset that so many people have when they say they're survivors. No, you're not a survivor. You're an overcomer. You're a mighty man, mighty woman of God. You see, the devil wants you to think, you'll never change. That's what the devil screams in his chatterbox. You're never going to change. You're always going to be my pawn. That's a lie from the enemy. You were created to rule and reign as kings and priests. But notice what Paul here goes on to say. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me. In other words, I, can, I, can, I could have access to anything, but not all things are helpful. Here's a wise man. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. This is a wise man. He realized, Paul realizes there are, there's a stewardship in my life that I need to take responsible choices. Food is for the stomach, stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Everyone say, but for the Lord. The Bible says your body is not for sexual impurity. It is for the Lord. In other words, what he is saying is your body and your energy and your life is to be given to glorify God. And he says, because you're a vessel of honor. He says this, and God hath raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies, everyone say my body, are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. What Paul is saying is that sex outside of marriage, any form of sex, joins you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Today, our, there's a whole generation today that is what we know, what a lot of psychologists, sociologists call it is recreational sex. And they think that there's no consequence with it. That's why you have a lot of young people that engage in sex and they end up hating and hitting and abusing each other because they've crossed a line sexually which has joined them spiritually and emotionally. Do you know that sex isn't just physical? It's very spiritual. 
And I'm not talking about spiritual in the sense of just being joined with God. See, you're a spirit. You have a spirit. And when you're joined with someone, the Bible says that when you join yourself sexually outside of marriage, a spirit of harlotry, which means that spirit of breaking covenant begins to rest upon your mind and emotions. The spirit of harlotry means that you become careless about things that are precious and important. And I no longer care about my covenant. And then I start sneaking and lying and cheating and trying to get away with things. And you don't even realize you've bought into a lie. That's why this is dangerous. I'm not trying to bring condemnation, but this is what Paul is talking about. The spirit of harlotry is upon an individual when they involve. But he says, verse 7, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How do I know that I'm joined to the Lord? I care about what I do with my body. I care about my body. And it, and it, it concerns me. Now, I, I do want to say, it's possible for a person to have looked at pornography. They feel guilty. They feel, and, and that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to your heart and he will say, this is unclean. I want you to come back to the throne. I, I want you to do like Asa, uh, the king did. I want you to rid yourself of these idols in your life because I've created you to be a vessel of honor. Amen. Are, you, are we following me here? This is, this is important because the Lord has some amazing things for us. Flee! Everyone say flee. Flee! It's the only sin in the Bible that tells you to run! It doesn't say flee lying or flee idolatry or flee uh, cheating or drunkenness, but it says flee sexual. In other words, it means to run as fast as you can away from it. Flee! Sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body, notice how Paul is constantly talking about sexual sins and your body. Sexual sins, your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Who you have from God and you are not your own for you were what? Bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I want to give you four things. What it means to glorify God. Number one, glorify God in your body means that I need to realize the high price that Jesus paid for your redemption. Jesus paid to not only save you spiritually in your soul, but he died to spare your body. He cares about your body. Everyone say, my body. He paid for a price so my body would be, would, he, he would be glorified in my body through his precious blood. Number two, glorifying God in my body means to renounce the lie and the sin of uncleanness. You know what? I, I want to tell you, there has been a time in my life where I had an addiction to pornography myself. And I remember when I was addicted to that, how my mind began to make room for excuses. And the Lord said, if you're ever going to be free, Ray, from pornography, you need to confront it, you need to renounce it, and you need to run from it. And number three, you need to be accountable to someone else other than yourself. 
The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Because uh, this particular sin does not just walk away from you. You need to flee from it. <clears throat> Number three, glorifying God in my body means that I'm not my own. My body was paid for by the blood of Jesus, and my body is now the temple. Everyone say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit lives in me. And Jesus really believes that you believe that you have surrendered your body to him. Now he feels that he has the right to speak and have his way in your body. What you do with your body matters to him, amen? And so I, I, I recognize that I am now, I belong to him, and I now am a steward. I'm not the owner anymore. I am a steward of what he has purchased. Because if he doesn't purchase it, if he doesn't own it, then I'm on my way to hell. I'm on my way to hell unless I acknowledge his lordship and acknowledge him as king in my life. And the last thing, notice what he says, I'm to glorify God. I need to recognize that I was created for beauty. I was created for glory. I was not created for sin or for lies. See, pornography, let me tell you, pornography, like any other sin, is a symptom. It's not the root problem. The root problem behind pornography is the lie that we believe that we are not good enough, we, we are not worthy because we don't realize that Jesus paid a high price because he loves you so much. When you realize how valuable, how important you are and what he died for because he sees value in you, you will start caring about what comes in your body. You know, I, 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 have, a, I have a ring, my wife has a diamond ring, and you know what? What makes a diamond ring special is because of what it means. A ring is special, not just because of the value of the diamond, but because of the relationship that is involved, shared be between two people. If the relationship was, I've seen people who've had expensive five, six, seven carat diamonds, and as soon as the relationship was over, they didn't care about the diamond. They'd go down and hawk the diamond ring off because the relationship is gone. See, to me, holiness, the foundation of our holiness with the Lord is our knowledge of how beautiful our Heavenly Father is and what He's done for us. And it's because of what He's done for me gives me the desire to live holy for Him. I'm not going to live holy for Him if I don't understand what He's done for me and how beautiful He is. If all I see is what I have to do, well, I'm a sinner and I'm perverted and I've done some bad things, I've got sin in my life, I guess I've got to try harder! Well, guess what? You're going to be falling on your face every week. But once you begin to renew your mind as far as what Jesus has done for me at the cross, it's not a matter about trying. It's about becoming and being what he called me to be. I'm no longer a garbage can. Say, I care, I care, I care. When you know what you are, you care about what goes in your... You know what? I, I bought a new car uh, several years ago. You know what I did? I was, I was probably one of the worst people to be around when I had a new car. I didn't want any of you people in it. Because I knew you bring your garbage can, your garbage and your gum and your trash, 
And I remember I said, Carol, I don't want anybody in my new car. I care about my new car because I put value in it. But you know what? Amazing. I remember one time years ago, my, my wife and I, we bought a brand new Honda Accord. We went, we're going to California. We just bought this new Accord. And I was so horrible to be with as a father. I'm just being open to you guys about this. But I was telling my kids in the back seat, stop that. Don't do that. Don't you dare spill that. I was telling my kids, finally, something happened. Oh, I remember. We were going down to Sacramento, and all of a sudden, true story, two huge pheasants on the side of the road. I was passing a semi in this loaf. One of the pheasants was not going high enough. It hit my uh, left headlight on the driver's side, about four inches below my uh, uh, windshield, exploded, probably about a 10-pound bird. The bird was sizzling, frying in my motor. The grill was destroyed. Headlight was destroyed. Brand new car! And man, did I have attitude. I come into Sacramento, and I was upset. My wife said, well, Ray, are we going to just kind of destroy the vacation now because your car got bent out of shape? I mean, I was mad, folks. I was mad. Finally, the the guys from the dealership were coming out and they're looking at the car and they're just laughing their heads off. Because this brand new car hit with the bird. I had hood damage, grill damage, bumper damage, uh, uh, headlight damage. But then the, the, uh, the manager of the, uh, the uh, shop comes out and says, uh, Mr. Galligan, do, do you realize how lucky you are? I said, why? Why was I lucky? He says, if that bird would have been a couple inches higher and went through the windshield, it could have cost you your life. And my wife looked at me and said, see, you should be thankful. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I, I should be thankful. But you know what? An interesting thing happened. I was horrible to live with with that new car, but after the bird hit it, we had a great vacation after that because <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> Eat your milkshakes. Have a great time. But my point is this. is you see, you're going to care about what you value. Holiness is not about trying harder, being better, obeying rules. It's about recognizing the value that God has placed in you. And when you recognize the value of what he's done for you, you'll start caring about what comes in your vessel. You'll start turning that television off. You'll turn that porn off. You won't have to go back and drink that booze and hit that joint and mess up and fall. You won't have to lie, cheat, try to get ahead the wrong way. You begin to realize, well, God has called me to be a king's kid, a priest, a king, a vessel of honor. And you'll start caring. Are you getting the message this morning? Let's bow our heads, shall we? I know my time's gone. I believe that God has some amazing things for New Life Fellowship. And I believe we can be free we can be cleansed. We can be delivered. We no longer have to live. We no longer have to allow the lie of the enemy to... Uh, I just believe the Holy Spirit is here in a rich way, and he, he wants you to know in a renewed way that he's paid a precious price to let you know how valuable and important you are. And you're no longer a slave to any sin. He's called you to be sons and daughters. And you are created in his image to live your life free from every stumbling block.
And maybe this morning, it may not be pornography. I know I've been dealing with that issue because of the prevalence of it in our nation. But maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else in your life that God has put his hand on you and has said, you know, this, this needs to go. I want my presence to be rich in your life. I want the blessing of the Lord like it came on Asa. The Bible says the blessing and the favor of God came upon Judah because he returned to worship and he destroyed the abominable idols in the land. Starts with us. Starts with dads. It starts with moms. It starts by saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. As for me and my house, this house is going to be a house that glorifies the Lord. It's, it's not about being self-righteous. It's not about trying to obey certain rules. It's about coming to understand what you were created for. You were created for beauty and holiness because God is holy. Maybe this morning you may say, Pastor Ray, there's things in my life I know God has put his hand on. And it may be nothing that I've even mentioned this morning, but the Lord's put his finger on you because he loves you. I want to turn. I want to make a, I want to turn my life around. I want to surrender things that I know I have guarded in my own heart. If that's you. Every bed head bowed this morning. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Put your hand down. I see your hand, okay? Put your hand down. Anyone else? See your hand. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the honesty of these people, Lord. These are your people. And Lord, you love them. These are your children. These are your sons and daughters. Lord, you don't bring anything to light that you don't desire to cover and cleanse. You said that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. And I pray, Lord, right now for healing and grace to cover where sin abounds, where weakness abounds, your grace would abound much more so that we will no longer be a reproach. We will no longer go back. We're not going back anymore. We're moving forward. We're following Jesus in righteousness and in holiness. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand to our feet this morning. I want everyone to take your neighbor by the hand this morning. I'm going to close right now. <clears throat> How many of you believe God has amazing things for us? You know, Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. holy is, holiness is awesome. It's a privilege to live in a place where you experience his sense of favor and cleansing and righteousness. It's awesome. You never want to go back to the garbage can when you've experienced his saving grace. Father, I just pray right now as a body, we would come to recognize that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we will put a guard on our eyes. We will guard our minds. And Lord, we will recognize ourselves as vessels of honor. Lord, your precious blood was shed so the curse of sin would no longer have dominion over us. Father, we renounce 
uncleanness. We renounce sin. We renounce rebellion. We renounce any idolatry, anything that would come between you and your presence in our lives, your, our lives in your presence. Father, we surrender all. We surrender to you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Give someone a hug and tell them they're beautiful this morning. There's beauty on them. God bless you in Jesus' name.